Hi, I'm Sabrina Petrofessa. And I'm Lily Rugo, and this is Earth's Mightiest Fangirls. Today we're talking about Captain America, The First Avenger, released in 2011, directed by Joe Johnston, and written by Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely. This is one of the few that I actually rem- have, like, remember the experience of going to the theater. It's Iron Man 1. Well, I guess I've only seen those ones in theaters, but like, I do remember like the hype surrounding seeing Cap. Yeah, I saw Cap. I definitely saw it in theaters. And fun fact, this was like, I think it was like the summer before sophomore year of high school for me. And um, that was the summer I was supposed to read All Quiet on the Western Front, which is the most boring book on the face of the planet. <laughs> I'll raise you a scarlet letter. I, I at least read that, though. I read The Scarlet Letter. I didn't even finish All Quiet on the Western Front. Um, so, no. Um, and my, my like, English teacher was trying to get us to, like, engage with the text and, like, relate it to other things. And I was like, Captain America. <laughs> because All Quiet on the Western Front is about um, World War One. And there were themes involved, and I don't remember what any of those were. Like, I think sophomore year English was when I was starting to not kind of care about English class anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was a very, very ridiculously easy class. Sorry, my sophomore English teacher. (laughs) Um, So I was, like, really, really trying to get him to let us watch Captain America. It took all year, but at the end of the year, after our final... He let us watch Cap in class. Good. Which was awesome. Good. Also, with Cap, I've started to realize that there's a theme with how these phase one movies open up, which is with flashbacks. Always with flashbacks. Because it opens with, like, I don't remember if it's here, but S.H.I.E.L.D. is out looking for the plane. It's not. I don't think it's specifically S.H.I.E.L.D., I think it's just, like, a government agency. They're from Washington. Oh. Because someone found the plane, probably noticed it was military, Mm. and, like, called someone in. Oh, okay. And they said something about, like, the, the, like, plates moving, and that's why the the plane showed up. Yeah. Because the, the, like melting and the freezing of the waters i don't know i'm not it's like something weird and i didn't really take a note of it but that's how the plane like resurfaced right and um and then it immediately goes to a scene with the red skull talking to filch which is not his name in the movie it's just like he's (laughs) filch from harry potter and i don't have any other reference for him other than that he's filch Mm -hmm. um and like that's when the red skull gets the tesseract Wait, it cuts from modern day finding Cap's plane straight to Red Skull with the Tesseract? Yes. Oh. It takes, hold on, I wrote it down, eight minutes and 20 seconds for us to actually see Steve Rogers in this movie. Wow. Interesting. Yes. Yeah. So it goes back and forth, which is weird to me. Yeah. That it's a theme that they want to go with for these films. Yeah. I guess because most of the, at this point, most of them are origin stories. The only one that isn't is Iron Man 2 because Iron Man got such an early start they just went through his trilogy real quick while the others were just getting started. Anyways. I just realized I forgot to give everyone a summary of Captain America. Let's do this. Oh my gosh. We just got into it. We got into it because we're so excited because we love Cap. This is a great movie. But um, 
Captain America is about a little guy from Brooklyn who just wants to fight some bullies in Nazi Germany. And along the way, he saves his best friend and falls in love with my hero, Peggy Carter. Give or take, you know, a steroid shot or two, that is pretty much the summary of Captain America the First Avenger. Yeah, that was right off the top of my head. Yeah. So that's yeah. what that's what everyone gets, is that summary off the top of my head. Um Fair. But speaking of Peggy Carter. This episode's mostly gonna be us talking about Peggy and I have thoughts on like I love Peggy, but I have I read all of the reviews, again, or I read four different reviews, and I have so many thoughts about how these men and these reviewers talked about Peggy, and yeah. This is why we don't get nice things. Agent Carter, <laughs> Peggy Carter, is a shining light of this film. And that's one of the things I want to talk about, is because a lot of the reviews that I read, first one was by, like, her, Kirk Honeycutt, who I established in Iron Man 2, I did not like him. James Hunt from Den of Geek, A.O. Scott, who is, like, a big New York Times He's, like, reviewer. the New York Times reviewer. So, like, he's a valid opinion, except I don't think his opinion is valid in this case. And then uh, Roger Ebert, who was one of the few who actually had, like, saw her as more than just, like, the love interest of the movie. Everyone else is just like, oh, look, a pinup model come to life. And I'm like, how dare you? This disrespect to not only Peggy Carter, but Haley Atwell. Yes, Haley Atwell is, like, also my favorite human being on the planet. I follow her on all social media, and I love her. <laughs> She's the perfect human. Um, just so we understand how much I love Peggy Carter, I actually have a tube of lipstick that is, like, the Peggy Carter lipstick. Didn't you say that's not available in the States? No, it's available in the States. It's Never mind. Like, just only available online. Mm-hmm. They don't have, like, a store. Oh, yeah. Is the, like, the company doesn't have, like, a store. If anyone's interested in learning what this lipstick is, I will put it on the website. Like, I, we do not... Just tweet it. We don't have... We do not have... They're not, like, paying us to do this. I just think it's also really great lipstick. Like, their brand is very good. Yeah. But, yeah, the, what I wanted to bring up is a lot of this, like, the fan hype around Peggy does not match what the cultural critics and, like, the supposed, uh, like, authorities on movies feel like. She was literally just there, versus for fans, she was, like, kind of half this movie, you know? So I'm wondering if that's, like, just us watching and putting our hopes and expectations on this character, or just a lot of these male reviewers don't understand that she's great. Well, for me, I think Peggy Carter was the first female character I saw in a comic book movie that I could actually relate to like Pepper Potts is such a good character obviously I um I it's really telling that when I think back on Batman I can't really think of like who that love interest is anymore like I I have mentioned we've mentioned Batman before and like his relationship to his love interest in, I think it was in Iron Man. Um, but I just, like, literally cannot bring her name to mind, like, at all. I at didn't all. know there was one. There is. Well, you uh, haven't seen the trilogy. Well, I mean, I that's, that's telling that, like, I don't know who the love interest is to Batman in the Dark Knight trilogy as much as everyone talks about the Dark Knight trilogy. Yeah. 
So I can't, like, I literally can't tell you what her name is because I cannot remember, and it's so easy for me to look up, but I'm not gonna. Um, and obviously our opinion of Betty Ross in the Hulk movies is not anything at all because she wasn't very much of any kind of character. And I, like, I love Jane in Thor. I love her, but I don't really see myself in her either. I'm not, I'm not, like, a scientist, but she is, like, pretty awesome. But, like, Peggy Carter, I saw myself in her because she's not, like, okay, Haley Atwell is classically beautiful, in my opinion. Yes. But she's also not, she's not the size, like, she's not the size of Gwyneth Paltrow or Natalie Portman. She's, like, more full-figured, I guess, which is nice to see. Not that she's fat, obviously, because she's beautiful, and she is this woman who is in the middle of all in in the middle of the army surrounded by men and when we first see her it's like such a great introduction like i loved that so much because it was some guy who did not have the same like military status as her who was like trying to hit on her she's really high up isn't she she well she's an agent like that is her yeah level but i think that's still higher than just being like a soldier in training yeah and he's like trying to flirt with her and so she's just like step forward and then she punches him in the face to like prove her dominance and i think that's just such a good example of how women are treated like still to this day and how she has to like really fight for the respect of the like male humans around her also, I do remember the scene, but just now that you mentioned it, I appreciate, I appreciate the little small detail that she punched him instead of, like, slapping him, because that's, like, I don't know. Slapping him would have just been the, like, very obvious feminine thing for her, her to do, but, like, nah, she just, like, straight slugged him in the face. Yeah. 1940 like, style. Slapping has a very feminine connotation. Like, think about, you know, the bitch slap. That's called that because it is not seen as, at like, powerful as just punching someone in the face. Like, slapping is not the same as, like, a punch. And, I'd like, that is genuinely true. But um, it's weird how these violent acts are still somehow seen as feminine and or masculine. Because either way, they're both violent acts. Um... It is a good touch that she's just like, nope, I'm going to punch you in the face. Because we do have to remember that Peggy is also a soldier. She is genuinely a member of the U.S. military. You have to treat her with respect. Yeah, that was one thing A.O. Scott wrote, which I guess I should take back my earlier statement. A.O. Scott also kind of like got Peggy. He gave her more than two sentences, including this one, which is, the screenwriters clearly appreciate the snappy romantic chemistry of dames and fellas in the 40s and the 1940s, and they also accommodate the modern expectations that a woman in an action movie should be able to throw a punch and handle a firearm. Which, I that's a pretty good summation of, like, the Peggy that they were able to write of. Yes, she does embody, like, classic 1940s beauty. Like, she does look like a pinup model with her curls and her red lipstick and so on and so forth. I do have to... Sorry, I don't want to interrupt, but I do have to mention something. That that's genuinely how women in the army in the 1940s dressed and looked. I'm not an expert in this, but I do know that women in the army genuinely still tried to project their femininity. 
and that's how they like that's how they projected it is they used the bold red lip and they curled their hair they pinned up their hair like that which we find as like something that is really complicated now because it just seems like a lot of work but i'm sure for peggy carter like in the 19th it was just like literally putting your hair in curls at night sleeping in them and taking them out in the morning and honestly they're not that complicated of looks her looks are not like very hard hairstyles to do so i just need to say like that's not completely out of the realm of possibility that women in the army were dressing like that yeah she looked like the embodiment of 1940s beauty standards because that is what she that, that was just what beauty standards were of the 1940s and she did that but they also um I, I completely lost it. They did a they did a good job with Peggy. Sorry, I didn't mean to like make you lose your train of thought, but I feel like it's important to mention that that's not it's not like just there for laughs that she was or not laughs. It wasn't it wasn't just there for looks that she was dressed and presented the way that she was. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, they just showed her she was capable. She was a capable woman. That even though yeah, she looked a certain way that she was able to do, you know, competent army things. Yeah. You know, this is Captain America, so we do need to talk about Captain America. <laughs> um, I think that his his opening, seeing Steve for the first time, is also a very good tell of the kind of character that we're dealing with, because you see Steve, and he's this skinny little, little dude, and he's trying to sign up for the army like there's some guy sitting next to him like they're in the waiting room to get their physicals to sign up for the army and the guy sitting next to him was like wow like a lot of people are dying makes you think twice about signing up and steve's like nope and he just walks on by he's like bye i'm gonna go do my physical now um and obviously he gets a 4f because he is really sick very sickly uh, and I think that's just such a good, good, like, representation of who Steve is as a character. It's like, I know that physically I cannot do this, but I'm gonna fight these people because they're being mean. Like, yeah. that's literally Steve. Yeah. And then after he, like, gets that 4F, he immediately goes to a movie where he watches propaganda about enlisting for the army. <laughs> Which I think is so funny that, like, all Steve wants to do is, like, just be a part of the army. And if he can't be, he's just going to, like, watch war propaganda. And support. And support. (laughs) And that's where he gets into his first fight of the film. Oh, yeah. He gets beaten up by, like, some neighborhood bullies, right? He gets beaten up by a guy who was heckling the propaganda before, like, the film started. Like, they're in a movie theater. And it's the, it's like our commercials. Like, that propaganda would happen. And then... Then the film would start. Mm-hmm. So the guy was like, just start the movie. Um, and Steve's like, shut up. And they take it to the back. <laughs> and we see, we hear for the first time, the iconic, I can do this all day. Which I didn't realize was iconic. <laughs> what do you mean? Like, he says it again in a later movie. and He says it again later in this film. Yeah. But like he said it again in a later movie. And my friend was like, oh my god. He said the line, and I was like, what? And he's oh like, you god. don't understand. I was like, I really don't. Oh my god, Lily. Davis Scott generally liked this movie, and he said at one point that, like, he keeps calling it earnest, and 
it's enjoyably it's enjoyably preposterous, occasionally touching, and generally likable. I feel like that described to me Cap. Those yeah. are my ambivalent feelings towards uh, Steve Rogers' Captain America. And, like, I loved this movie when it came out. Like, I was so hyped for a period of time. Cap was my favorite Avenger because of this movie. But as things gone on, and as, like, I've watched other movies and, like, thought about it in years, Cap kind of... I'm gonna say it, Cap kind of bores me. I disagree. But does he bore you in this movie? When I watched it, no, because, like... I was there and I was along for the ride and there was so much adventure and he was, he was punching Nazis and Hitler and he had this awesome shield. But now that I look back, I'm just like, yeah, that movie kind of played out the exact way you would expect America's Greatest Hero to play out. Okay. Yeah. Oh, and another thing I should get out of the way that people... I uh, Another very unpopular opinion. I have complete and total apathy regarding Bucky Barnes. I don't understand that at all. I really, really don't. I, I really, really don't. I know he ex- exists in this movie, and he's, like, very important to Cap as a person and a friend, and, like, I don't wish him anything that is about to happen to him, but, and we're gonna get into this with the, like, future Cap movies, I really do not remember Bucky Barnes as a human being. I really don't understand this. Um, but... Speaking of Bucky Barnes, let's talk about the relationship between Bucky and Steve in this film, which this might not be a very popular opinion. I think it's very gay. But I I would also agree. I'm not a huge fan of shipping everything that moves, but like this is not a 100% heterosexual relationship. Yeah, I personally, I understand why people ship Steve and Bucky, you know, ship named Stucky. I understand why it exists as a ship. I understand the inclination to ship it. I know the history, whatever. Personally, I am, I love Steggy, but that's just because I have such a, like, strong love for Peggy Carter. Um, and seeing her happy. (laughs) Truly. But, Steve and Bucky's relationship is kind of queer. A little bit. And if Bucky were a woman, like, Bucky would be the, like, romantic lead. Because traditionally in these kind of films, what pushes a, like, the lead's storyline is the death of their, like, romantic partner. (laughs) At Peggy Carter. (laughs) Yes, at Peggy Carter. Like, maybe the thing that would have pushed Steve to like attack the red skull at the end of this film would have maybe been peggy's death or maybe her getting hurt on the in the line of duty something like that but it wasn't peggy who died and steve who went off the rails it was bucky who died and steve went off the rails yeah which is not traditional at all you don't see that kind of relationship and the two of them are so close and not to say that like two men can't be close and be friends and blah 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 but in terms of film and seeing these kind of relationships on screen should they be you know if this was like a man and a woman that would have been like the that was going to be the romantic storyline of the film which kind of brings me to what i believe like this film ultimately is kind of about Steve and Bucky. Okay. 
Like, I think it's about, like, the reason why Steve goes into action at all in this film is because he finds out that Bucky got kidnapped by Hydra. Right, because he's on that USO tour. Yeah. And that's when he finds the news. Which, like, poor Steve going on this stupid USO tour. He becomes the ultimate super soldier, gets pumped up with all of these drugs, becomes the ultimate super soldier, and then poor Stanley Tucci dies, (laughs) and taking with him the secret to the serum... And now he's the only one, and the government is like, you're too precious, so you are no longer going to fight because we can't let you die. And so instead, he does this stupid USO tour and becomes the little monkey on the unicycle that he draws later in his (laughs) book when he is, you know, with the troops, trying to do the same show for the troops, and I just can't understand why they would do that. Like, why... why would they have him go to the troops? Because if I were one of those soldiers, I'd be so angry looking at this, like, really fit dude acting as if he's punching Adolf Hitler in the face when they're, like, actually fighting. And they address that a few times about how, like, everyone in that situation hates that situation. Oh, yeah, no, Steve hates that situation, and, like, he gets heckled on stage and leaves. Because they're like, bring out the girls! Which, I would feel the same way. Like, I'm not at all... Usually I'd be like, oh, like, of course they just want to, like, objectify the women. But, like, uh, if I were one of those people, I'd be so mad, too. Because, like, women weren't enlisting in droves, obviously, to be in the... Or they weren't drafted in the same way that the men were drafted. I don't think women could enlist unless they were nurses. That's why there were so many women working in the factories. I think there is like, um, that's, that's false. There are like, women could also be on the front lines, but it was like in a very specific way. I don't, re- I don't know exactly how, but Peggy Carter is in this movie. But I think that's a little bit of movie magic. I legit, I don't think women could enlist to be soldiers. They could only be nurses. I'm looking this up. All right. Riveter. Beginning in December 1941, 350,000 women served in the United States Armed Forces during World War II. They had their own branch of service, including Women's Army Auxiliary Corps, later the Women's Army Corps, or WAC, the Women's Air Force Service Pilots, WASP, and others. This is from, I'm getting this off of the Minnesota History Center website. Hmm. So women did, in fact, serve in the army, by the way. Haha. Ha. Um, Peggy is not movie magic. In fact, the fact that she it's, like, just her might be movie magic. But moving back to Bucky. Moving back to Bucky, yeah. Like, Peggy is there and shows up and is like, yeah, this is, like, the remaining of the 107th, which is Bucky's battalion, I think is the word that you use for that. And that's when Steve is like, what? The 107th? Also, P.S. In the beginning of the movie, Steve says that his dad was a part of the 107th, so his dad and Bucky were a part of the same, like, troop. They were both in the 107th. And I don't know what that means, but, like, I just love that that's a little thing. That, like, they're in the same. Two different wars, though. Two different wars, yeah. Because his dad is dead. His dad died, I'm assuming, in World War I. Um... 
And and that's when when Steve's like, absolutely not. I am going to go and I'm going to save my best friend because you guys will not go and save him or any of the other 400 men trapped behind enemy lines. I feel like that's enough men that the army would be like, yeah, we're going to go and try and save them. But I guess not. Yeah, that is a, an absurd amount of soldiers just to leave the enemies. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay. Not that I know anything about military strategy or anything, but you know. Oh, just real quick. This really ridiculous thing happened while I was watching this movie. Last night, I was sitting down, watching the movie, and I get a email notification. Because, you know, I do read fanfiction. I don't actually often read, like, Captain America fanfiction, but while I was watching this movie, I got a notification that, w- that like, the only piece of Captain America fanfiction that I actually follow updated. <laughs> and I swear to God, it's, like, completely ridiculous because this fic never updates. It was its 10th chapter in two years. <laughs> and I just think it's so funny that I got the notification while I was watching it to record this podcast. It's a sign. It's a sign. It's a Things are meant sign. to be. I just thought it was so funny. Oh, I did have one question because in Ebert's review, he says something about like all the cameos that kind of show up, and he mentions um, Nick Fury. Is young Nick Fury in this movie? No. Then what the hell was Roger Ebert talking about? The final scene of this film. That's what would make sense. It's just he said. Um, I think it constitutes as a cameo because it's not long. Well, I I know I am familiar with how Fury is in every movie because he's Nick Fury, but Ebert said, and there is Nick Fury, another World War II hero. Uh, What? I don't don't know. I just, that's why I I was asking you because you watched it and I didn't, but like. I don't think Nick Fury is even old enough to have fought in World War II. Alright, then I'm going to go back and figure out what this is but i that's i just wanted to verify that young nick fury wasn't also somehow a howling commando no cool no there's only one black howling commando all right there we go speaking of the howling commandos we have our first asian of the mcu no second asian of the mcu one of thor's friends is asian yes yes one of the warriors three is asian and this Morita is his name in um, Cap. Cap. Cool. We were up to two. He's from Fresno. <laughs> I appreciated that line. Yeah. It was a good one. I think it's funny. It was a weird experience for me to watch that in my hometown theater, which is tiny, light suburban town in Missouri. Not even suburb, like rural, rural town in Missouri. And um, that line, which is obviously for laughs, of just like, haha, I am an American, blah, blah, blah. And then like, Obviously, people laugh because it was funny and, like, that was supposed to be the joke. But at the same time, I was like, everyone in this theater would have asked me where I'm actually from. Do not laugh at this line. This line is for me. (laughs) (laughs) How dare you? (laughs) I feel like we might need to mention that Lily is Asian. (laughs) In case you've never seen either of our faces. That's true. We don't have a photo on the website yet. Um, I'm very white. Lily is Asian. Yeah. (laughs) I was not born in Fresno, but I understand his point. (laughs) I I just feel 
like we needed to explain that. Because you just got very up in arms. I'm keeping an Asian count. You are keeping an Asian count. Um, I guess we're up to two and a half because you said Olivia, Olivia Munn was in one of the Iron Men. So, but she doesn't have like she doesn't a count. Role. She's not. If they're not named, mm-hmm. and they're not in more than one scene, I don't think they count. That's fair. Yeah, I think because like I think Olivia Munn's character was named. She was like, I'm blah blah blah, and I'm doing this, um, but. That was also the only scene we see her in. Uh, I I do love the Howling Commandos. The Howling Commandos are great. Dugan is my favorite, like, side character of this film. He's... Every time I see him, I think he's the guy who plays Gunther in, like, Friends. Because <laughs> they have very similar looks. But they're not... And by very similar looks, I mean they both have that, like, bleach blonde white hair. <laughs> Um, hold on. Let me, let me find this actor's name. He's, side note, fun fact, he's also in Arrow. He plays a bad guy named Damien Dark. (laughs) That is all. What's his name? Neil McDonough Hmm. plays Dugan. And I think he's just like so funny. He's quick with the one-liners, you know? I just love him as a character. Um, and just, I just love the Howling Commandos. There's not much else. They are. They're not like super in in this movie. They're just there. They're Cap's backup, and then they eventually become Peggy's squad. Do they? I thought that like after Cap, like they become a squad. Not like her. Not like her official like army squad, but like they are her like twenty first century use of the word squad. Oh, <laughs> they are her friends. They yes. are her crew. Yes, that is true. <laughs> Yeah. That that is true. Okay. We also meet Howard Stark in this film. Yes, we do. I kind of liked how they wrote and played Howard in um pre pretty pre Iron Man time period pretty much because like we see this is yeah, the first time we see this actor and just the kind of ways he plays. You can kind of see how like where Tony picked up some of his stuff and you can kind of see like why Steve doesn't really like Tony later on because he's just kind of fixated not fixated he just kind of remembers the like weird things that his dad did and I don't know whatever but like I liked maybe not Howard as a person but I liked Howard as a character when we meet him now I think it's not it's easy to like a character pre-having a child because this is just like Howard being Howard you know, messing around, doing his thing, and being, like, a part of the project to make super soldiers. Yeah, like, I know in the future Howard is a terrible person, but, like, freewheeling Bachelor Howard is just kind of fun to watch. Like, it's interesting to watch who he was before he became, before everyone realized he was a terrible person. And if he fondues with Peggy... Of course he tried to hit on Peggy. They have a fun relationship because... They do. He he hits on everything and everyone. Women. Yeah. Be straight. But, like, he knows... Is he, though? If he was Pan, I would not be surprised. So, like, I have this same theory about Tony, is that, like, I think they both just like nice things. But it was the 1940s. And while I do say, you know, the 1940s was pretty gay, um still wasn't you know 
the best to be gay in the 40s. And I guess if anyone could get away with it, it would be a rich person like Howard. Yeah. But, like, just his, the, like, I feel like whenever he hits on Peggy or stuff like that, it's not genuinely, like, trying to get in her pants because he knows he's never going to. Yeah. And Peggy kind of has that, like, attitude of just, like, I know what you're doing. We both know what's not going to happen. Here we go. It's more of a challenge for Howard and just, like, joking around, you know? Yeah. Which is fun. Yeah. And just having fun. So I, I enjoyed that chem- that chemistry and partnership that they have because, like, at least I feel like as the audience, we know it's not going to happen. We know Howard, we know Peggy is not the mom of Tony Stark. Oh my god. <laughs> right? <laughs> that sounds terrifying. Right? So we know what's going to happen so we can sit back and enjoy what's happening. I don't like that. Please, no one write a fan fiction about that. It definitely exists. I know it does. Um, <laughs> don't send it to us. Please don't. Um, this is also the first time we see Vibranium show up. The only Vibranium in the world. <laughs> which is Tony... No, not Which is... <laughs> not Tony. Which is Cap's shield, obviously. Iconic. Iconic is when Peggy Carter shoots him. Yes. That is how you flirt, ladies and gentlemen and gender non-binaries. Yeah, that's how you flirt, is when someone makes out with someone else, and you're angry at them. And they're holding a shield, just shoot their shield. (laughs) In the scene directly before that, it was... Steve was making out with Natalie Dormer, who is also a queen of mine. She was the, like... I can't think of what her actual position was. She was basically like the receptionist person. I think she was like a secretary or something. That was Natalie Dormer? That was Natalie Dormer. Oh my god. She's my favorite Irene Adler. Okay, side side tangent. I love Sherlock Holmes and all of that canon. She's my favorite Irene Adler. Yeah. Would you look at that? This movie has a lot of like weird little cameos. Like, she was she's in this movie. Richard Armitage is the spy at the beginning of the movie after mm. the like injection. Um... Which is also a scene we should talk about when Steve first gets big. Mm-hmm. And he goes from skinny Steve to big Steve. Um, I just love that scene where he comes out and Peggy, like, reaches out and touches his peck and then, like, <laughs> moves the, his hand away. Which is a completely improvised, like, scene from Haley Atwell. And she said it was the first time that he had, she had seen him, like, without a shirt on. And that was just, like, her <laughs> impulse. I'm so glad they kept it because that is, yeah, that's unnatural. Like, that didn't look scripted and, or, like, it was played really well. It was just, like, that scene was just, it was just a, the small perfect touch. And that it scene was, was so just good. Like, wow. <laughs> I, I love that scene so much because it's just hysterical. It's just really <laughs> funny is what it is. And this scene is, like, this scene is actually weirdly funny in a way because Steve is trying to figure out what his new body can do. This is the chase scene when yeah. he's... Yeah. He, he's chasing after Richard Armitage, um, who is, you know, the guy who killed Stanley Tucci. And he's trying to figure out how his body works, and he's running, and he's like... 
oh my god, I can go faster than this? So he speeds up chasing after a car, which he has no business running after. <laughs> I like He's a super soldier, and he's just like, yeah, I'm going to run after a car. Steve spends a lot of this film running after vehicles that he should have no business <laughs> like a normal obviously he's a super soldier so he can do this but it's so strange to like watch a man isn't he barefoot? catch vehicles he's barefoot, barefoot and shirtless scene. at this moment no, no no he puts a shirt on okay good he has a shirt on um but he does not have shoes on and his um his pants are like at his calf right because he grew as well <laughs> um he, like, shot up a foot and a half, I think. And then he, like, runs into a shop. Like, he turns a corner and he loses control of his body and crashes through the window of this bridal shop. <laughs> and then there's the little kid in this scene, which is the best little kid to ever exist in a film ever because he knows how to swim. Richard Armitage takes, like, a kid hostage to stop Cap from, like, chasing after him. And then he realizes there's no bullets in the gun and he throws the kid into the water and Cap's like, oh no, I gotta save the kid. And you know, like, I remember when I saw that for this first time, I was like, oh, this guy's gonna get away because Cap's gotta save the kid. This is so annoying. But then he goes over to the kid and the kid's like, no, it's okay. Go get him. I can swim. And that is the best <laughs> child I have ever seen portrayed in a film. That is a good touch on the screenwriter's part because, yeah, everyone probably had that same thought of just like, well, there goes the chase. And then they instead added this drop of, like, humor and, like, kind of realism. Like, it's good that this kid's in how to swim. So they just added that drop in and then the chase was able to go on. Yeah. And then Cap jumps into the water to swim after a submarine and actually catches up with it. I just praised the screenwriters, but now this is a stretch. I think it's so funny. All right. Whatever. I guess he, he's got the strength to really propel himself. Did he I, know how to swim prior? Probably. I hope. I mean, he must have. Obviously, if he was like, I can confidently do this. But, like, can you imagine if he... Bucky totally taught him how to swim. That is some fan art I would like to see. <laughs> <laughs> Skinny Steve. Which also brings me to another thing I want to talk about is... How weird it must have been for Bucky to just be hanging out with this guy who is not at all his best friend. You know, like, is his best friend at heart, like, truly is his best friend. But his but, best friend went through, like, steroid puberty. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's easy for us because, obviously, that is actually Chris Evans' body, his, like, beautiful body. Um, we, We're like, yeah, this is normal. But for the character... For Bucky Barnes. It's not normal. That's was, not his friend. What was the scene where he meets Bucky for the first time? Like, post. So it's when he is going to save Bucky behind Hydra lines. So it's much later. Like, because he's it's been definitely a few months for Steve. Right. Do you think. Because he's been doing these tours and stuff, do you think Bucky has seen, like, posters? But, okay, if you were Bucky... No, I don't think he would have believed it and stuff, but, like, do you think there was news that, like... Do you think he, he probably thought it was, like, a different Steve Rogers, but... Like... I don't think the government was telling everyone that Steve Rogers was a super soldier. 
No, I don't think so either. But like, do you think he saw posters of like Steve Rogers in the USL? Blah 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 blah. blah, blah and then he was just like, oh, look, another guy named Steve Rogers. And yes. then he met him, and he's like, Steve. Yeah, definitely. He definitely. Also, you have to remember that like Steve was taking pictures with the mask on. Oh yeah. So it wasn't like people were seeing his full face, and usually I'm like. Are you kidding me? That's not enough of a mask. But that actually covers, like, half of his face. Yeah. And you don't see his hair or anything, so you would just kind of get the jaw. So I kind of understand that, like, no Bucky one wouldn't notice that that was his best friend. Mm-hmm. Especially yeah. since his best friend is, like, skinny and sickly <laughs> and has had, like, polio three times. And apparently, like, like four foot one. Yeah. <laughs> so what was it like when he met... Steve. Oh, right, that's what you wanted to know. Yeah, what was his reaction when he realized who was rescuing him? Um, it... Well, Bucky was pretty out of it because he was being tortured. Okay. And... Bucky Barnes and torture this poor child. I know. That is why people like Bucky and remember him. <laughs> um... Steve runs to find him and then finds him, like, on a table really really out of it he's like bucky oh my god it's you and steve is just like yeah it's me buck it's steve it's steve and steve's like i thought you were dead bucky goes i thought you were smaller <laughs> like that's that's what that that's what happens there um it's like what happened i joined the army wait i have i have like a note of a scene of things that they were saying hold on ow did it hurt a little is it permanent so far <laughs> I think that's just like a perfect little thing to say and then immediately after this they meet the red skull and the red skull like rips off his face to show that he has a red skull yeah and Bucky's like do you have one of those <laughs> nope thank god nope I do not have one of those <sighs> ultimately it's the the death of Bucky Barnes that pushes Steve to be the most impulsive we've seen him be in this entire film. I'm going to go ahead and say that's a recurring theme that we're going to see in later movies. Yeah. Bucky is, like, literally the person that makes Steve not be impulsive. Which is really funny to me. I think originally my perception of them was that, like, Bucky was, like the reckless one just because he seemed to be like the womanizer mm-hmm. just because he was the more Sebastian Stan is a very attractive man so he was like the one who would get the ladies and Steve was just kind of the one who was there <laughs> so it makes you think that like he was the more outgoing one but really when you look at their relationship it's actually a lot of Bucky saving Steve from fights and being like why you gotta do this <laughs> Why you gotta be like this? And it's the truth. It's the truth for like the army as well. Is that I'm sure that the only reason all of the other howling commandos do not die is because Bucky was there to be like Steve. Are you kidding me? <laughs> what? That is a terrible plan. I'm. I'm. Yes. Obviously, Peggy and Steve are everything. Like because they are. But I like the true rom- romance of this film is Steve and Bucky. Yeah. In the end, if that was how it were to play out, I would be okay with that. It's still so heartbreaking for me to watch that scene where Bucky falls to his death. Like, I know it's coming, 
but it was it was the scene where they were about to start ziplining on the train like it the the scene cuts to the snowy mountains and the second i saw it i audibly gasped because like you know like i was expecting it and i like i've seen this movie so many times so many times but still when that it cut to that scene i just like (gasps) like I literally just gasped and like made a sad noise because I was so sad that this was about to happen. It still hurts every time. I've seen other movies where like you know that this character is gonna die, but you're just like I have to watch. I've seen your death five hundred times, and I'm still shocked by it. It's like I still cry. If I were to actually watch the Bridge of Terabithia again, <laughs> I still cry. Valid every time. Um, I still so... cry whenever Marlon realizes Nemo was taken. Oh my god. <laughs> know it's gonna happen yeah so it was that same feeling with with this where it's like oh i know you're about to die and like right before he picks up the shield too he like has the shield and it's like such a great moment and you're like for the reference bucky barnes has the shield because you know in the comic books he's he becomes cap eventually in the comic books bucky barnes like takes on the mantle as captain america i thought it was falcon no originally it's bucky okay and then it goes I think more recently it went to Falcon. Okay. Um, but traditionally it's Bucky. So it's like really cool to see, whatever. And then he gets blasted out and then falls to his death. And then boom, Captain America becomes the most reckless person on the planet. And we've already seen him be reckless by, you know, going into a Hydra base on his own without backup at the like... Yeah. to save Bucky in the first place. So he's like, I don't care about my life anymore. My best friend's dead. <laughs> and he drives the plane into the ground, into the water. That's that scene. Yes. I mean, I knew that was how the movie ended and things like that, but I forgot the exact chain of events that like led up to that exact moment. Yeah, it was that. Because yeah. um, the mission that gets Bucky killed is to capture Zola, which is the Red Skull's, you know partner Mm -hmm. um and they get him and they find out the red skull's plan which is basically to just like nuke the planet also what i think is funny is that steve gets on this plane right and sees all of the like bombs set for specific cities in the u.s and he goes boston chicago new york dun dun (laughs) like (laughs) As if it wasn't bad enough that these two other major cities were about to get bombed. But the camera goes to New York, and that that it is, it, like, that's when it hits. Steve feels the impact of what this is about to do. Because it's gonna hit New York. <laughs> I just think it's so funny. And then... Oh my god. And that, like, so these bombs are, like, on planes i guess um and steve ends up like on one of these bombs with like a a pilot going to try and like bomb the city Mm -hmm. that is on on it and i like i was watching this scene and i was like how do you get back on the plane (laughs) he rips open the 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 like I don't know, the window part, you know, (laughs) that covers the pilot and ejects him out. What? Yeah. Yeah. Like pulls the eject thing to parachute the guy out. And then he gets into the, the, the plane 
the little plane and he flies back into the big plane oh also also a horrifying part of this scene is that there is a second like soldier like hydra soldier who is trying to get cap off of the outside of the plane Mm -hmm. so when he does that he like it's just so he's flying off and the guy falls through the propeller there's always a propeller death in a World War II, World War One movie. Someone just has becomes, to die by propeller. But he just becomes, like... Blended. <laughs> yeah, and it's so nasty. Yeah. And I'm like, that seems extra for, like, comic book violence. It's, yeah, it's pretty bad, but someone... If you're fighting in one of the World Wars, someone's gonna get a propeller to the face. I don't like it. Yeah. I don't like that theme. I didn't know that was a thing. <laughs> for some reason, I don't people... think that was a thing in Pearl Harbor. Yeah, I don't like think the it's... film Pearl Harbor. Yeah, but the like fun action adventure ones. For some reason, they're like, you know what kills people? Like, does it have to? Like, do we need this right now? It just kind of reminds me of that scene in The Incredibles, like no capes, and the <laughs> the one hero gets sucked through the engine of a plane. Yep, by the cape. Um, uh, uh, oh my gosh! But the saddest part of this film is that conversation between. Steve and Peggy at the end trying to set a date for their date. Like, next Saturday at the store club. Alright, you're gonna have to teach me how to dance. Like, that whole thing, it makes me so sad. I was crying so much when that happened. (sighs) Like, it kills me. And they both, I think both the actors did a really good job with that scene because it could have been a lot more, like, sappier, more, like, obviously, like, over-the-top tragic, but they both did it so well because, like, Haley Atwell just had this single tear. Um, like that single movie tear. Yeah, Chris had his, like, pocket watch set up with mm-hmm. her photo. So they did it just, a, like, minor enough that it was heartbreaking. I, um, recently... Not recently. I once was on Tumblr and someone had just edited the audio together to make it sound like someone was listening in on the conversation, mm. like, over the radios. Because I'm sure that happened. And it was, like, the, the saddest thing to hear them just both, like, talking to each other without the visuals. Oh. And, like, thinking of it in that way, like, where we see Steve prop up his little Peggy compass. And we see, like, Peggy crying. But, like, to just isolate that and listen to them... Oh my god. Oh. It's so sad. Heartbreaking. Truly heartbreaking. And then I feel like the worst part is that it, he's like, he gets cut off when he hits the water. And you just hear Peggy go, Steve? Steve? And nothing. And then he wakes up 70 years later to a room and a woman who is not styled correctly, listening to a game from 1941. Right! Because they don't want to throw him into 2011 that fast. Here's the thing, though. But they do it wrong. (laughs) They do it wrong, and I think they do it wrong on purpose. That's true. I I see that. I think they do it wrong on purpose because, first of all, we've seen how well the costuming department has created the 1940s. So we know that they can accurately dress someone to look like they're in the 1940s. So this isn't 
this is an intentional thing that the costume department of the film has done to make this woman who comes in to talk to Steve look the way that she looks. Right. Because her hair is not right. Right. Her makeup is not right. So... And even, like, her bra is not right. Yeah, so costume department decide, you think, and I would agree now, but, like, this was a conscious decision on S.H.I.E.L.D.'s part. Yes. Yeah. That's what I think, like... Because of what we know of how well that the costume department makes, the, right. is that what they did here was to imply that Shield was trying to make everything look a little bit off, to see if Steve could catch it. Mm-hmm. Also, the fact that there is a game playing from 1941, and when does World War Two end again? Forty-five. Right. So forty-five. Um. And S.H.I.E.L.D. has records of when Cap was gone, gone, like, in the war. So I don't understand why they would play a game from sort of pre-World War II. If the game was, like, Steve is literally like, that game is from blah 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 1941. I know because I was there. Mm. Like, S.H.I.E.L.D specifically picked a game maybe they didn't know steve was at that game Mm -hmm. but picked a game that happened previous to his service right right so i think everything about that scene depicts that like fury was trying to see if steve would pick up on all of the weirdness that makes sense yeah and he did yeah and that scene where he's just looking around Times Square is so weird. Yeah, a lot of the people come, and I remember seeing this, like, when we were in the movies, but, like, the, like, darker, like, muted tinge of Cap, the movie, just overall, of just, like, trying to not, like, not, like, look like it was shot in World War Two, but it had the same, like, color scheme and, like, stuff like that. And then when you see 2011 Cap, it's, like, high def, HD, clear AF, LED, like, there is a difference in the, like, uh, it's visual quality. Obviously the time purposeful. Yeah, and it's done well. Yeah. I just, it's also still so sad that the last line of this film is, I had a date. It's just, it's, so, like, the ultimately, the story of Captain America is so sad because of loss like Mm -hmm. and it's loss on i don't want to compare it to like superman level loss because that's just straight like genocide being the last of your kind kind of thing but he is like alone no one understands what he's going through and like he could go and talk to some people who were alive during world war ii but by 2011 not a lot of them are alive yeah he's the ultimate survivor kind of yeah and that wasn't his plan pretty much no no he was gonna die he was ready to die yeah i just love i love this version of movie magic of like yeah this guy totally survived 70 years (laughs) underwater encased in ice in the ice yeah ah he was alive when we woke him up super soldier yeah (laughs) nothing can kill him yeah also, the post credit scene of this movie is not a post credit scene. It's just a straight-up Avengers trailer. Okay, the amount of reviews that were so mad about, like, 
Because by this point, Avengers have obviously been announced, and they're, like... I mean, they filmed it, obviously, because they had the scene at the end of the... Yeah. Um, but a lot of the reviews for Cap, and the same thing that they said in Thor, they were just really mad about this, like, gearing up toward the Avengers, and how this is just commercialization, and they're just trying to commodify these superheroes, blah blah blah. This Kirk Honeycutt person was just like, um... This gimmick is truly running out of steam, and my legit thought is like, hang on, buddy. Strap yourself in. This is just getting started. You have no idea what you're getting yourself in for. It's 2018, and we're still not done with this MCU. Yeah. Here's what I don't- I feel like these people who are like, this is such a gimmicky thing, don't understand comic books as a concept. That's fair. I would agree. Because, like- I feel like uh, genre movies, and I've had friends who feel the same way about like genre books and stuff, but like superheroes, action movies, um, sci-fi, things like that, they don't get taken as seriously, just inherently because of what they're about. So yeah, that's a lot of these things that I've noticed in these reviews, is people think that like the Marvel movies are for like young boys or 30-year-old men living in people's basements. They don't understand what this means as a cultural phenomenon, which is why I can't wait to read the Avenger reviews, because that's when people started taking it finally seriously. But, yeah, there's just this so much bias against these superhero movies, and here we are in 2018, and I think, I don't think, I think it's still there, but a lot of it has kind of shifted. Yes. And, um, I think... One last thing, I do want to talk about how Chris... Evans, this one's Evans, turned down the role for Cap so many times. He had been Johnny Storm or whatever from Fantastic Four, yeah. the OG Fantastic Four, and he was like, I mean, like, yeah, I had fun being a superhero, but, like, I would like to not be one for a little bit. And they're like, okay, that's fine, but I think you'd make a really good Steve Rogers. He's like, okay, sure. And they kept going at him because they couldn't find one that they liked. And I don't know if it was money or No, just- it was RDJ. RDJ. He talked to Robert Downey Jr. and Robert Downey Jr. convinced him to do it. Bless. But yeah, now we have, I, maybe because I haven't seen any others, but like we have the perfect Captain America. Like yeah. Chris Evans is a great Steve Rogers. We have a pretty perfect cast in general. These are all very good actors. Yeah. So. Yeah. Now we have the perfect Cap. We do. We do. And uh, I think that's it. This has been Cap. We'll be with you till the end of the line. You can find me on Twitter at the Sabrina Pet. You can find Lily at Lily underscore Rugo. You can follow the podcast at EM Fangirls and check out our website, EarthsMightiestFangirls.com for updates and the podcast. <laughs> our music is Wonderland by Dexter Britton, and thanks to us for editing and producing.